This is John Floridus. Welcome to Musicians Spotlight. Today we welcome back Sharon Isbin. This is John Floridus. Welcome to Musicians Spotlight. I'm very pleased to be speaking by phone today with Sharon Isman. How are you doing, Sharon? I'm doing great. And thank you so much, John, for taking the time to have this interview. It's great to talk with you. Sharon is a multiple Grammy Award winner. She has 30 albums that run the gamut of traditional classical guitar repertoire to crossover music of all kinds, performing with other guitarists like Steve Vai, Steve Morse, Stanley Jordan, Nancy Wilson of Heart, musicians like Joan Baez, Sting, Mark O'Connor, Paul Winter. She's performed with over 200 orchestras, has her music featured in films like The Departed on TV shows like The L Word. For public radio fans, she's been featured on Prairie Home Companion and All Things Considered on many occasions. She created the classical guitar program at Juilliard. And as we were saying before the interview started, you've been on the program before. We're thinking maybe 2012 with uh, former co-host Brian Copper, so we're welcoming you back to the program. I'll say off the top, Sharon has a couple of new projects, two new projects in uh, release now, Affinity and Strings for Peace. I guess where I wanted to start, and I'm sure you start with this story a lot in interviews, but your first guitar, there's a whole story behind how you got that first guitar and how you first got started. Well, our family, when I was nine years old, took a sabbatical year from Minneapolis to go to Italy. And in that process, my older brother said he wanted guitar lessons, but we didn't know that his fantasy was to be the next Elvis. 
So when my parents <laughs> discovered a wonderful classical guitar teacher who was commuting from Milano to Varese, where we lived, and who had studied with Segovia and was concertizing in Italy, and they brought my brother for the interview, and he said, classical? No way. I'm out of this. And <laughs> I simply volunteered out of family duty to take his place. Now, wasn't there a specific instrument, like a, a very small instrument that you got was your first one? Is that right? Well, it had to be built for me because I was I was just a little nine-year-old. So we visited a maker in the countryside, and I remember climbing up a rickety wooden staircase filled with chickens on both sides to have my hands measured. And a few weeks later, we had the guitar. Oh my God, that's, that, that alone itself could be an entire interview. That's a fascinating story. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you don't hear that very often. Wow. No, probably not, no. In Italy at that time, even, it was not unusual for a young woman to be studying classical guitar in the same way that uh, it was not that long ago in the United States. Am I correct in that? Well, the difference is that in Italy and in France, there's been a long tradition of female players. And so it was not really segregated in the same way by gender, whereas in the United States, most of the kids who came to play classical guitar came to it from having been in a rock band. And then they, they heard a Segovia album and they thought, oh, this is cool. Let's let me try that. So that necessarily attracted a lot more guys because there weren't so many gals in, in rock bands at that time. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that is absolutely true. And having uh, studied classical guitar myself at Indiana University uh, back in the 80s, yeah, people, well, the guys, there was mostly guys, although there was one terrific player who was a young woman who was primarily a banjo player. But guys were auditioning with, you know, Mood for a Day by Yes and stuff because they didn't even know any of the repertoire. <laughs> Yeah, and ended up being terrific it, players, but but it was you know, they were coming at it from a different place. Right, right. So so that's changing little by little. But Europe has, has certainly been far ahead of the United States in that regard. And you know, people need role models. It, that just is the way it goes. Did you have any specific role models, particularly at that time when you started playing? Well, certainly Segovia and Julian Bream and and John Williams. Those those were my my trilogy of uh, people to listen to, and. I remember I would go to sleep every night listening to Bream's uh, Concierto de Adam Wes, thinking to myself, someday I want to play that. Oh Little gosh. did I know I'd end up recording it several times, and including with the New York Philharmonic. That's their first and only ever recording with guitar. Let's talk a little bit about Segovia. I mean, a lot of our listeners, if not most of our listeners, will know when we just toss out a name like that, who he was. But can you talk a little bit about you know his, his influence? And you know, we, we talked about him being kind of like the gateway to a lot of guitarist to the world of classical guitar. And I know I've seen at least one picture of you with him. And I can't remember if you studied with him directly or, you know, what his what his role was in, in your, you know, in your taking up the instrument. Well, when I was 14, I was able to have the first of several lessons with him. And this was just privately with him in, in his hotel, wherever he was traveling in the United States. And it happened to be in New York City. My father took me there. And it was just so amazing to be able to hear him in these lessons demonstrate on his guitar the beautiful, magical sound that became so much a part of his playing. And to have that in my ear, just inches away, it became a model for me of tone that I, that I wanted to emulate.
Sharon Isbin joining us here on Musician Spotlight. Sharon, I forgot to ask, where are you as we have this conversation? I'm in New York City, and I have been, uh, this is where I live. I'm just a block from the Hudson River, so I can go jogging along the river whenever I feel like it. And certainly it is a beautiful place to be and to escape from 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 New York as we know it with the buildings mm-hmm. and instead to be on the water and with trees and beautiful blooms. So all of that is is a very positive part of things. <clears throat> I'm busier than ever in terms of being able to share the music from these two albums, Affinity and Strings for Peace that were just released this spring, and to to be able to to explore different kinds of virtual performances and interviews. So I've had to learn different skills from the video world and the audio world, all of that is is uh, f- fascinating and, and certainly very gratifying. Let's talk about those new projects, Sharon. Maybe start with Affinity. That's the, what we might think of as a more traditional, although for you, <laughs> I don't know what's traditional because you've <laughs> you know, crossed over into so many different genres so often, um, but maybe what most people would think of as more of a traditional classical guitar type album. Well, the opening work on Affinity, and Affinity really is is also a world embrace in that there are composers from 
uh, five different countries and three different continents and all of this coming together from the United States in a jazz idiom to Cuba in an Afro-Cuban idiom to China, South America, and even Persia. So I, I, I really have enjoyed this travelogue. All of these are world premiere recordings with the exception of the Leo Brower, but all of them have been written for me. And Chris Brubeck's concerto is, is the centerpiece, really, of the album. It's a work that he wrote for me in 2015. His father, being Dave Brubeck, sure. is paid homage to in the slow section, which where he includes this beautiful slow ballad called Autumn that his father had written and that Chris orchestrated. And flanked on either side of that are, are virtuosic guitar writing in, a, in jazz and Middle Eastern styles. And um, it's, it's really, uh, when you think that Dave Brubeck's centenary is being celebrated this fall, it couldn't mm. come at a better time. Yeah. One of the things that, that happened in this experience was something that no composer has ever asked me to do before. And it was just such a welcome and beautiful surprise. Chris one day called and said, I'm writing the piece. And I'd love for you to hear some of the early sketches of what I'm doing. Can I come, come over? And I said, sure. So he played for me what he had so far. And he said, is there anything you'd like me to change or do differently? And I said, you're asking me to critique your music? And he said, yes. And I thought, wow, this, this takes someone who has real confidence and a strong inner core and a, a beautiful sense of self-awareness and an ability to be vulnerable in this way. I thought this is such courage. And I took him up on the offer. And when it came time on another visit for me to hear a slow section that he'd written that was in a jazz style, I, I realized it didn't really speak to me. And I just said to him, you know, you, you lost your father, Dave Brubeck, recently and your mother this year. And I said, is there any th way you would want to pay homage to them, perhaps in a slow section that even might use some of your father's music? And he said, I'm so glad you asked that because uh. I was afraid you only wanted my own music. And I said, no, I want you to write whatever is in your heart. So he gave me some ballads to listen to, and I immediately chose this particular one, Autumn, and it was so gorgeous. And he ended up on his own scrapping the whole slow section he'd written before and replacing it with this gorgeous arrangement. And that forms the heart and soul of the piece. But that really speaks to the trust between the two of you. On both it sides. really does. And, and you know, the, the title, Affinity, is about, he took the, the scientific term, which is an attraction or force between particles that causes them to combine, because he knew of my interest of, of science and my having been a person who loved model rockets and launching and building them. So he, he was drawn to that. He was drawn to the affinity he and I share as artists of sharing different affinities for styles of, of, of different countries and different genres. And it ended up being a metaphor for the entire album, since it is a world embrace.
Sharon Isbin joining us by phone today on Musician Spotlight. Sharon, let's talk about Strings for Peace. This is a really interesting recording, and I'm really curious how the music came together, uh, just in terms of you know combining the two. Um, well, not two. I mean, there's a number of different styles, I guess, that are probably in there, but, but the use of raga, and maybe let's talk a little bit about, for listeners, what exactly that means. 
Well, about 11 years ago, I received a message from Amjad Ali Khan, who is India's foremost sarod player. The sarod is a metal instrument you hold in your lap, and it's played with a plectrum, and there are no frets. And he is sixth generation of sarod players in his family. They actually helped to evolve the development of the instrument itself. And he wanted a collaboration, so we met. And instead what happened was a beautiful friendship between him and me and his two amazing virtuoso sarod playing sons, Aman and Nayan Alibangash. And every year, whenever they would come to the United States from India and play, and I would hear them and meet them, they would say, we're still working on the project. And I thought, this is never going to happen after <laughs> 10 years. This is <laughs> So finally, one day in November of 2018, uh, all these ragas appeared in my inbox. And I started to listen. And such gorgeous music. I was so moved. And Amjad said, well, that's really good because we booked a tour to do with you in two months in India. You got to be kidding. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh, my And I Lord. said, that's that's exciting, but can't we make it a little later? And they said, well, no, we, we grabbed the halls. They were available in Mumbai, Calcutta, and Delhi, and just let's do it. And I would have thought this was nuts, but I was so in love with the music that I moved mountains and I changed my schedule around and I, I, I did whatever I could to make it possible and ended up. I, I was this came on the heels in January of making an album called Souvenirs of Spain and Italy that was released in August of 2019, a music with the Pacifica String Quartet, gorgeous music by Vivaldi, Baccarini, and Castelnuovo Tedesco. So that had my focus most of, of January. And then I just dove into this and I loved Indian, North Indian classical music for years. I'd heard sitar music in concert when I was in college. So it was, it was somehow part of my DNA at this point. I just didn't know I'd ever play it. And I got to India a few days early. We rehearsed and I was just struck by how all of the things that I've been doing in the past, working with a, a Brazilian percussionist for, ten, for 20 years, uh, Tiago de Mello and our Journey to the Amazon projects, working with jazz and rock musicians like Stanley Jordan and Nancy Wilson and Steve Vai, who improvise and how that came into play. All of this really formed an important part of what I needed to be able to immerse myself in the improvisational elements of Indian classical music mm. and, and just working with percussion. Of course, there's tabla involved. This this made me unafraid of, of the new venture and willing to really go full force. So this improvisation going on on your part, I mean, I, I guess the you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking, well, she's a classical musician. She's going to have stuff written out. Of course, <laughs> it's not like, as you said, you haven't jammed with all these amazing guitarists who come from, from genres in which improvisation is more at the forefront. Well, in the fast parts that involve tabla, my part is written out. Okay. And that enables me to forego decades of having to study the music. I can actually go right into it. Mm. In the slow sections, I did have to add a lot of embellishments and things that I was able to absorb from working with my colleagues and figure out ways to do that on the guitar. And then when they're improvis improvising, I'm able to just improvise adding chords and bass notes as they would do. So it, it, it's a real fascinating union between yeah. Western music and Eastern.
We'll be back with more of our visit with Sharon Isbin on Musicians Spotlight. Welcome back to Musicians Spotlight and our visit with Sharon Isbin. This is Musician Spotlight, and we're speaking today with Sharon Isbin. 
Sharon, you mentioned your collaboration with uh, these wonderful other guitar players that are from different genres. Uh, Steve Vai, Steve Moore, Stanley Jordan, Nancy Wilson of Heart. That's just on the top. Michael Hedges, I believe you did some stuff with Michael Hedges. You know, you um, know your history, yes. Well, I do, yeah. And, and uh, I think that the question of where I wanted to go with this was, where did that really begin? I mean, I'm familiar with the tours, the Guitar Summit tours that you were involved with. Where did that drive to engage other players of the same instrument? But, you know, let's face it, that guitar that Steve Vibe plays, it might as well be a different instrument, <laughs> you know, the way that, that, uh, that an electric guitar is played in some ways. Um, where did that drive to engage and kind of experiment with these other genres and other players? Where did that come from? It actually wasn't anything that I planned. It just simply happened and I left the door open to embrace new opportunities when they landed in my lap. In the case of Steve Vai, I was asked by the Recording Academy, which is the Grammys, to collaborate with him on a, on a show that they were doing, I think it was in Atlanta, or it was in New York, it was in New York. I said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, well, you'll figure it out. So I just picked, <laughs> picked some things that I thought he could he could improvise to, and, and that ended up working out so well. We became great friends. He ended up composing for me. We premiered a piece that he wrote for the two of us in Paris. He joined me on the album called Sharon Has Been in Friends, Guitar Passions, and uh, he's like a brother to me. I, I, I love him. Again, that wasn't planned. My first, I would say, crossover experience began working with Carlos Barbosa Lima and Antonio Carlos Jobim, the Brazilian mm. popular music icon. And that was an invitation from Carlos. So many of these projects, actually other people thought of them and asked me to be involved. And that, that really has been a fascinating way of working together. Sharon, you mentioned earlier in the interview, you know, engaging um, or, ha or having pieces written for you. Um, and you've been so active in that, in the creation of new works for classical guitar, expanding the repertoire. I, I think I looked on your bio, it was like over 80 works commissioned or premiered. And I wanted to ask you just what some of the standouts might have been. I know it's kind of a hard question given the magnitude of, of the pieces that you've been involved with, but, but uh, you know, it's no small feat to have composers write for, for an artist, regardless of, of you know, what their status is in their career, but but your your career has been pretty remarkable in that regard. Well, the hardest part about it is you never, of course, know what's going to come out when it's something where <laughs> you're commissioning somebody. Yeah. And then if, if it's a composer that has not played the instrument, there's a lot often of editing involved. And that means an, an enormous investment of time and energy on my part to make it idiomatic on the guitar. So, but that, that part of the, the process is is so important and I would say standouts there there's so many I mean certainly the concerto that Chris Rouse for me wrote for me called the Concerto de Gaudi inspired by the Spanish architect Gaudi it is combining gestures of, of Spanish flamenco with a, a surrealistic vision I played that more than 80 times the concerto that John Coriano wrote for me called Troubadours and that was the title of the documentary, Troubadour. Mm -hmm. It is a work inspired by the 13th century romantic tradition of the French troubadours from Provençal, France. And, and that is, is something that had never been done before. And he used a beautiful theme from a, a, a female troubadour writer from that time. And 
uh, I mean, the list is really too long, but I'm, I'm just so grateful that I've had the opportunity to work with many composers. It's one, of the, one of them from the past, Joe Schwantner, has just written a new work for me to do with the Pacifica String Quartet. This would be revisiting our collaboration, and it's for a concert we're supposed to do in New York in March of 2021. If if the concert happens, great, and if not, we'll do it eventually. But they're they're such a, a great group to work with, and the piece is finished. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. So I, I look f- forward all the time to be challenged in new ways and to have the opportunity to explore and expand the vision of the instrument. Thank you. 
Sharon, having asked you about creation of new pieces, I wonder if there's a piece of the traditional repertoire of classical guitar that is a favorite, even one that, and I hate to use the term guilty pleasure, but, you know, a piece that maybe is is one that, that is so familiar that, that, you know, sometimes you think, oh, gosh, oh, you know, can I play this one again, you know, whatever. Uh, but the one that just still resonates with you. I mean, you mentioned Concerto de Aaron Wes, of course, is one of the most well-known pieces in, in music, let alone in classical music, let alone in classical guitar music. But, you know, I'm seeing like, like one that kind of feels like you're coming home, coming home to a particular piece that just really feels natural and feels like uh, you can just settle into it, even if you've played it a million times. Absolutely. I, I love playing the music of Tarragon and Albanese, and I, I guess Spanish music is where I come to take a, a, a deep, warm bath and have that a sense of beauty and relaxation and also just energy and excitement because that's always a part of the passion of, of Spanish music. So that is certainly a, a part of my life that I will always enjoy revisiting. And in fact, you can you can hear my first virtual concert that I did, uh, video. I've never actually had to be a videographer before, but if you go to my <laughs> Facebook page, and the, the most recent post is a picture of me in my living room, and that was a virtual concert to replace the postponed ones with the Colorado Music Festival. And if you just mm. click on the link and register for free, you can hear it. I didn't mean to, to laugh there. I'm just, I've, because I'm doing all my interviews by phone now, I don't know how many times I've heard musicians saying, Gosh, I didn't know I'd had to be a videographer at some point. Oh, really? Point. So I'm not the only one. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh, no, not but, at all. But you not know what? I, I, I'm. It's not really that much fun to see people uh, being shot up through their nose on the the camera and bad lighting and uh, bookcases coming out of their ears and paintings out of their head. I I think for me, it was really important to find a way to do this in a little bit more elegant way. So I spent a good 140 hours, I would say, learning the software, learning how to stage things all on my own because a lot of it wasn't terribly compatible with Windows 10 and I had to figure out ways to make it work and it was hair pulling and exasperating but in the end I figured it out and I'm I'm kind of glad how it turned out and I ended up buying a webcam I'd never used a webcam on my computers before I just blocked it out but I bought one uh, that would be a separate attachment so that I could get 1080p and a high bit rate uh, mm. 32 frames per second and and just make it as good as I could make it. And of course, the tripods and the lighting and you know all of those things are important if you want to do something. I know, Sharon, you're talking the lingo pretty good there. I think you may be a may have made yourself a videographer by by accident. I had no choice. I mean, you know, if I was <laughs> yeah. going to do it, I didn't want it to look bad.
You're listening to Musicians Spotlight. I'm joined today by Sharon Isbin. Sharon, I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, looking over your career and, and you know, having read through the, the biography and it just, I just kept going, oh my God, I can't, oh, that's right, she did this. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh my gosh. There's just such a, a depth and, and breadth to your career, even beyond the performances and the recordings. And I guess I wanted to ask, where does that drive come from? Well, I, I've never been able to answer that question to my satisfaction, uh. but I can say that it, I have a tremendous curiosity about things and about life and about new explorations so I can get lost in the rabbit hole of the internet really easily because one thing leads to another and I'm just dying of curiosity to know where this came from and that came from. And the same thing really is true in my career in music. If, if I'm drawn to something and I love it, and an opportunity presents itself, I, I want to find a way to make it work. It really comes from a passion for the music and for the enrichment that that brings and wanting to do it well. And as we all know, if you're going to do something well, you have to invest hundreds and hundreds of hours. Right. And I've never shied away from that. I've always been able to focus on things in, in a, a really monolithic way in order to make it happen while multitasking on the side with a thousand other things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I just think it really comes from a deep passion for life and curiosity uh, and an openness. I keep the door open. I don't, I don't say no. If some, somebody approaches me on something like, in, you know, the first time I was ever asked to do a crossover project, it was with Laurindo Almeida and Larry Coriel. And I said, well, Sure, but what are we going to do together? And they said, well, we'll, we'll make the arrangements. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And hmm. I said, yes. So when I was asked to do my first tour of, of Europe when I was 16, I had no idea how to do it. I mean, in terms of just the level of preparation it would involve. And I just said yes when I was asked. So it's, it's a matter of having enough confidence in yourself that you can figure out a way to make it work that, that you can go forward. Thank you. 
Sharon, I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions about stuff outside of music. I understand you're very involved in transcendental meditation. And I wanted to ask a little bit about that. I know that you're a practitioner of that. And uh, can, can, be, can you maybe share about that practice and how it's helped you as a guitarist and musician and maybe just, just overall? Well, my parents gave me that opportunity to learn transcendental meditation when I was a teenager with them. My father had seen an article on the cover hmm. of Scientific American being a scientist, he thought this was really fascinating. And it has been really one of the greatest gifts they could have ever given me. It is a a tremendous stress release, a way to access your inner creativity, and it's rejuvenating in the course of a day to give you energy. I feel like it's given me twice as much life. I don't think I could have accomplished half of what I've done if it hadn't been for transcendental meditation. It's so simple. You do Mm. 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. It's not religious. It's just a, a chance to really immerse in the inner calm of your your inner psyche and being and unite somehow with a way that is able to allow you to deal with whatever stress comes your way and not be phased by it and to be productive and to be creative. It's also, uh, in a way, a fountain of youth because they find that it helps to keep the telomeres lengthened and that is an element of the aging process where when they get shorter that's not so great but transcendental meditation has been shown to keep them lengthened so there's there's a lot in this there have been hundreds and hundreds of scientific carefully controlled studies done of how TM is different from other forms of meditation and enables you to really just self-actualize in a way that is so powerful and it's easy to learn any any city in the country has a tm center and you can just go to uh, tm.org and find the one nearest you sharonisbin.com is the name of sharon's website s-h-a-r-o-n I-S-B-I-N is how you spell her name, SharonIsbin.com. And that is where you can find out more about Sharon and keep track of her and all the many things and all the many projects that she's involved with, including her most recent recordings, Affinity and Strings for Peace. Sharon, thanks so much for coming back to Musician Spotlight and being a part of our program again. I am so grateful to you, for John, for taking this time and for giving me the opportunity to share a lot of this with your listeners. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, and thank you for coming back to Musician Spotlight, and I hope the next time we have you on the program, we can meet face-to-face. I look forward to that. Thanks so much.
You've been listening to Musicians Spotlight. Our guest today has been Sharon Isbin. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through the Montana Public Radio website, mtpr.org, as well as through our own website, musicianspotlight.org. You can also find us online on Facebook and on Twitter. Our program is available as a podcast from those websites, as well as through Spotify and iTunes. Musicians Spotlight is a production of Montana Public Radio.